Did you know that if you're in the city of El Paso, Texas, you are actually closer to San Diego, California than you are to the eastern border of Texas? Welcome to the Lore of the South. Hey y'all, welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. How are y'all doing? Is it still boiling where you are? It's still hotter than blue blazes here, but fall is bound to show up eventually. The kids have started back to school and our oldest just started college, and the younger two weren't too far behind her. We've got a sophomore and a junior this year. Time flies. Here's a little quote for y'all. It's one of my favorites about raising kids, and this is especially true when you have little bitty kids. The days are long, but the years are short. And that comes from American author Gretchen Rubin. What else? Oh, I'd like y'all's opinion. I have a couple more hurricane episodes planned, but with us moving into spooky season, should I just table those for next year? And let's get to things that go bump and howl and prowl and or maybe a visit from outer space. I'll try to create a poll for y'all to vote in, or y'all can email me your thoughts on the show at loreofthesouth at gmail.com. Speaking of things that howl and prowl, that brings us to episode 24, the Spicewood Creek Monster. Way back in the early 1980s, my dad belonged to a deer lease in Spicewood, Texas, which is located in Central Texas in Burnett County. He and some of his hunting buddies, for some reason, got it into their heads to take a truckload of little kids on a summer scouting trip to look for deer signs and evidence of other wildlife. I'd say I was somewhere around four or five years old. The oldest kid amongst us was probably no more than eight or so. This was a long time ago, but I think there were like four dads and at least that many kids, if not more. I do remember how gorgeous it was down there. Rock formations, clear springs, cool shaded wooded areas, meandering stone-lined streams that would end in waterfalls, and a wide muddy river. It was magical to a kid from the virtually flat and treeless North Texas. So the dads, I guess I'll go ahead and use their first name. It'd be kind of cool if one of them happened to hear this. My dad and his buddies, Ronnie, Jimmy, and Craig, herded his kids into the cabs of two or three pickup trucks, the back of which were laden with ice chests, water coolers, sleeping bags, and camping gear galore. One of the dads was pulling a pop-up camper, which I remember thinking was the coolest playhouse I had ever seen. They drove for around three hours south out of the big city of Fort Worth, down to the lesser populated area of Spicewood, Texas. I'm pretty sure I slept the whole way down, but the first thing I remember was coming to a cattle gate upon reaching the lease. The grass was fairly tall and had taken on a golden yellow cast that much vegetation does in Texas during the late summer. This was also where I learned about the very important business of opening and the closing of gates. It's odd what the mind remembers. The grown-up passenger of the first truck would get out. I think it was Jimmy. He was the only blonde grown-up, and I remember how shiny his head was in the sun. He opened the gate and then climbed back into the truck. Then after the last truck and our little convoy pulled through, the truck's passenger again jumped out, this time to swing the wide gate shut behind us. It was then that my dad explained to me the importance of a gate. Gates were made to keep in what belonged and out what or who didn't. We traveled on for a bit, 
We might have repeated the opening and closing of the gate process a time or two more before we arrived at our campsite. Tailgates were down and the unloading process began. We kids were turned loose to gather firewood and to run off the pent-up energy of a long drive in a cramped cab of an old pickup truck. I can remember being so happy to be able to team up with my buddy Brett. He was the youngest of Ronnie's two and Brett and I were the same age. Neither of us minded getting dirty and we played hard that afternoon while the dads put the camp together. By the time the sun was setting, all the gear was set. One of the dads had built a roaring campfire inside a stone circle and we gathered around for our dinner of fired grilled hot dogs, bags of chips, and our choice of canned Cokes or Solo cups of water from one of those bright orange Igly water coolers. Dinner finished, we probably threw all of our trash into the fire. It was like that in the 80s. So let this story be a history lesson for some of y'all. That's just how things were done back then. No cleanup, throw your stuff in the fire. The kids were all lolling about on the ground backs resting on stumps, some had heads resting on their dad's shoulders, all becoming more and more tired as the sun disappeared. This was about the time that my blonde pigtailed head popped up, overloaded on a day's adventures, trying to avoid that dreaded bedtime, and started begging for a ghost story. I remember each dad meeting the gaze of the others around the fire, each nodding. My dad started by telling us how Jimmy was a mountain man and knew everything there was to know about the woods in the wilderness. That he'd seen some wild and crazy things while in the woods, and that's why he was so quiet all the time. He was always listening and waiting for some kind of beast to sneak up on him. Then the next dad took over, probably Ronnie this time. Just like that monster that lives right here in Spicewood. My dad. That's right, the Spicewood Creek monster. At this point, I lose track at who was telling which bits. But it went on something like this. He's very tall. His shadow's even bigger. He's hunched over, but can still walk in huge strides. Some say he's covered in hair, or maybe it's just a coat made from all the animals he's killed and eaten. One of the kids pipes up. Did he have a mama? Some quick thinking on the dad's part. He was so ugly and hairy when he was born, his mama turned him loose to make his way in these woods. The fire was dying, and in the ambient light, you can make out a ridgeline of sorts. My dad pointed toward it, and a false whisper said, nobody should stay out late at night, cause that's the only time the Spicewood Creek monster will come out. He doesn't want anyone to see his ugliness, but if he catches you, he'll carry you back up into those hills, and who knows what'll happen to you then. He especially likes to snatch up little girls with blonde pigtails. At this point, the kids book it back to their sleeping bags, whether they be in a tent or in that nifty pop-up camper. But me being the kid I was, paused and asked, well, what happens if he comes down in our camp while everyone's asleep and he gets us kids? The dads all give each other a, oh crap, look. After a pause, Ronnie recalls, Jimmy the Mountain Man. Don't worry about that, kid. That's what we brought Jimmy for. He's a mountain man, remember? He'll sleep out here all night long, keep the fire going, and the Spicewood Creek Monster away. With that, my dad swung me up and carried me to the best playhouse I'd ever seen, the pop-up camper, where my sleeping bag awaited. But wait, the story doesn't end there. The next day, the dads took us kids down by the spring. They sat in the cab and chunked us all in the truck bed. The road we entered on looked like it had been cut or blown through a rocky hill. 
They parked and we all offloaded. The dads walked us around a rock pool spring and pointed out the scratch marks in the rocks, a sure sign that the Spicewood Creek monster had been trying to catch fish there with his long claws. The kids were then instructed to stay away from the water and down below while the dads went up the hillside to look for deer signs. Most all of his kids, except for me, went and hung out where the road was cut through. In the cut through, there were huge tree roots sprouting from the face. A couple of the kids began trying to climb the sheer face using the roots as ropes. I, on the other hand, rounded the corner of the rocky hill where it was more green, and a metal staircase had been installed to ease the way to anyone wanting to make the climb. Yeah, Dad had told us to stay down off the massive hill, and he had just told us about the Spicewood Creek monster, but it was daylight, so I began to climb. To say I was nervous was an understatement. Thirty some odd years later, and I can still feel my heart racing. That staircase seemed so steep, and the steps so far apart. It was a hard climb for a little bitty kid. I had just placed my little foot on the top step that was nearly level with the top of the bluff, when a roar sounded from inside the tree line. It was so loud and so deep I could feel it in my bones. It could only be one thing, the Spicewood Creek Monster. I turned tail and bolted down those steep stairs, my feet barely touching each tread. My feet hit the ground at the base and I sprinted around the corner where the other kids all clustered in a tight pack. A couple of them were dusting their backsides off after falling from their root climbing adventures. We were terrified, all hushed with some mumbling, wondering aloud what was coming for us. Just then our dads all rounded the bend that I had just raced around at a breakneck speed. All looked as though they were smothering grins. Hey kid, did y'all hear that? My dad called out to me. We all broke apart from our tight circle and ran for our dads. All of us talking at once. All of us making them swear it wasn't them. For years I swore I was nearly eaten by the Spicewood Creek monster. Never once finding it suspicious that my dad could retell the tale from the vantage point from on top of that tree covered bluff. He'd recount that afternoon that kid wasn't nothing but a streak of blonde hair as she was moving so fast down those stairs. He'd be doubled over in silent laughter. They swarmed together in a big old clump of kids. He'd bring his outstretched hands in close to form a circle to demonstrate how tightly we'd all squeeze together, and then would laugh all the harder. As far as I know, none of them ever admitted to staging that roar that shook the trees. My dad's been gone now for 20 years. And he surely never did, though he'd chuckle any time I brought it up. And what reminded me of this little story of mine was the story of the Marble Falls Bear Man, also known as the Bear King, that I came across not too long ago. In fact, it took place right up the road from where we had all been camping. The year was 1901 and a young woman by the name of Ramey Arlen had set about to do her evening chores, one of which was to bring the family sheep herd in closer to the farmstead for the night. While her mother was still in the house, seeing to supper and just the usual tidying up, she heard Ramey's screams split the air, followed by what sounded like a screech of a wildcat. She grabbed the rifle that was kept by the door and took off at a run to the pasture in hopes to save her daughter. Upon reaching the clearing, there was no sign of Ramey anywhere. 
No signs of a struggle, no signs of a mountain lion attack. She did a quick search and then headed back to seek help. A search party was formed. They searched through the night, but came up empty-handed. There wasn't a scrap of evidence to aid them in finding the missing Arlen girl. A day or so passes, and a young woman is found by a hunter, wandering aimlessly in the woods. She tells him she's Ramey Arlen, and she's trying to find her way back home. The hunter helps her back to the Arlen farm, where Ramey then tells her mother and her would-be rescuers what happened to her. She tells them how she'd been walking down the trail through the woods that led to the pasture. When a black bear entered her path, she screamed and it ran away. But nearly at the same moment, another bear-like creature appeared, though this one looked almost like a man. He let loose a horrendous screech, gathered her up, and took off running with her. He ran for what seemed like forever to Raimi, until he came to his lair up in the Moon Mountains. It was during all of this that Raimi remembered a Kickapoo legend about the Bear King, and she was certain that that's who her captor was. Once in his cave, he dropped her to the ground. Raimi tried to escape, but the creature then began to beat her around the head. Raimi then told her audience that she feared that she was done for. But then the Bear King was overcome with tiredness and passed out in a heap of shaggy black hair. She waited a bit before she dared to try to make another escape attempt, but escape she did, and that's when the hunter found her and helped her home. After hearing the story of the Bear King, a hunting party was formed. The armed men took off towards the Boone Mountains, where Raimi had reportedly been taken to. The men searched and then finally came upon the creature. All raised rifles, ready to fire on the animal. All hesitated. For when they saw his face, it was more like a man's than an animal's. But then the Bear King roared and charged. The posse opened fire and shot the Bear King dead. And that's where the story ends. But as one blogger who wrote of the Bear King, his name was Mike Cox, he wrote, This story is full of more holes than the Bear King must have been. For number one, there aren't any bears in that part of Texas. Number two, there aren't any true mountains in that area, let alone any by the name of Moon. Number three, the Kickapoos were never settled there, though they were known to have passed through the region sometime in the 1860s. So I guess any of their legends still could have existed in living memory back then. Also, apparently the story never ran in any local papers. It was published in a DC paper and then in another in San Francisco. It was more than likely a product of yellow journalism and was more of an entertainment piece than actual news. But hey, the Bear King could be just as real as the Spicewood Creek monster, right? The Bear King sounds an awful like Bigfoot and so did that hairy beast that a bunch of dads trying to entertain a bunch of kids around a campfire came up with. Side notes. If you're in Texas or planning to visit the Burnett County area, you can visit the real life location where my story took place. Probably only months after we had visited that deer lease, the state of Texas bought it and it's now part of the Colorado Bend State Park. I haven't been back there since I was a little kid, but looking at the pictures online, it looks exactly like how I remember it. And I wonder if those metal stairs are still there. Hope y'all enjoyed these two stories. I think this was a first for me writing about my childhood. 
But I guess it's no wonder why I'm into the weird and spooky when my dad was so good at coming up with his tall tales. And I'm still thinking about them decades later. Look for the show on social media. I always post pics to go along with each episode. Just search for Lord of the South. If you want to get in touch or have a show idea or just want to say hey, you can email me at lordofthesouth at gmail.com. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars and some kind words would be amazing. And with that, we'll talk to y'all later on Lord of the South.